Well, we're just going to carry on here since they all relate to each other. So first we did Chapter 7 of the Gita. Then we actually uh, read the Heart Sutra, uh, to both of which you know, a lot of connections. So the next is it's a book called An Open Heart, Practicing Compassion in Everyday Life. Uh, it's uh, attributed to the Dalai Lama and edited by Nicholas Vreeland. It was actually, um, it's a collection, a speech, or a collection of speeches, my apologies, um, from uh, 1999. And the reason why, oh, the reason why I was looking at it is for me, this goes back to about the time when I was actually learning. What I was learning was um, compassion meditation. Uh, so long story short, I've talked about this before, but I never found myself able to sit on a cushion in a little corner somewhere and get the, uh, the peace uh, they say you can get from meditation. I was introduced at a very young age to meditation. I knew this lady um, who was, I've come to learn in hindsight, she uh, was into yoga and transcendental meditation. and So, I mean, she had quite a bit of knowledge. Uh, so I started early on, but of course, even to this day, the understanding that mindfulness is the real practice, uh, sitting in meditation is strictly uh, a beginner type practice, but again, it's going to get some people upset. But I'm not uh, unused to being considered a heretic. But as I said, this book, An Open Heart, Practicing Compassion in Everyday Life, what I was attracted to was this meditating on compassion. Um, this chapter is called Compassion and Emptiness. The compassion that we must ultimately possess is derived from our insight into emptiness. That's the chunyata we've been talking about. The ultimate nature of reality. It is at this point that the vast meets the profound. This ultimate nature, as explained in chapter 6 of this book, The Vast and the Profound, is the absence of inherent existence in all aspects of reality, the absence of intrinsic identity in all phenomena. We attribute this quality of inherent existence to our mind and body, and then perceive this objective status, the self or me this strong sense of self then grasps at some kind of inherent nature of phenomena, such as a quality of carness in the new car we fancy. And as a result of this reification and our ensuing grasping, we may also experience emotions such as anger or unhappiness in the event that we're denied the object of our desire, a car, or a new computer, or whatever it might be. Reification simply means that we give such objects a reality they don't have. When compassion is joined with this understanding of how all our suffering derives from our misconception about the nature of reality, we have reached the next step on our spiritual journey. As, a, as we recognize that the basis of misery is this mistaken perception, this mistaken grasping at a non-existent self, we see that suffering can be eliminated. Once we remove the mistaken perception, we shall no longer be troubled by suffering. Knowing that people's suffering is avoidable, that is, uh, that it's surmountable, 
our sympathy for their inability to extricate themselves leads to a more powerful compassion. Otherwise, uh, though our compassion may be strong, it is likely to have a quality of hopelessness, even despair. And it goes on, in the next section, is how to meditate on compassion and loving-kindness, karuna and metta. If we truly intend to develop compassion, we have to devote more time to it than our formal meditation sessions grant us. It is a goal we must commit ourselves to with all our heart. If we do have a time each day when we like to sit and contemplate, that's very good. As I have suggested, early mornings are good uh, for such contemplation, since our minds are particularly clear then. We must, however, devote more than just this period to cultivating compassion. During our formal sessions, for example, we work at developing empathy and closeness to others. We reflect upon their miserable predic uh, predicament. And once we have generated a true feeling of compassion within ourselves, we should hold on to it. Simply experience it using the settled meditation I've described to remain focused, without applying thought or reason. This enables it to sink in, and when the feeling begins to weaken, we again apply reasons to re-stimulate uh, re our compassion. We go between these two methods of meditation, much as potters work their clay, moistening it, then forming it as they see the need. The two uh, forms of meditation are the two sides of Vipassana and Shamatha, uh, taught by the Dalai Lama, and um, most uh, sects uh, will teach you both. Both insight and calmness are required. Y you must remain calm to uh, look at the nature of reality. Otherwise, lest you feel that hopelessness or even that despair. Uh, but more importantly, you must remain calm to be objective. Uh, so we go on. It is generally best that we initially not spend too much time in formal meditation. We shall not generate compassion for all beings overnight. We won't succeed in a month or a year. If we are able to, to diminish our selfish instincts and develop a little more concern for others before our death, we have made good use of this life. If, instead, we push ourselves to attain Buddhahood in a short time, we'll soon grow tired of our practice. The mere sight of the seat where we engage in our formal morning meditation will stimulate resistance. It goes on to the next section, Great Compassion. It is said that the ultimate state of Buddhahood is attainable within a human lifetime. This is for extraordinary practitioners who have devoted many previous lives to preparing themselves for this opportunity. We can feel only admiration for such beings and use their example to develop perseverance instead of pushing ourselves to any extreme. It is best to pursue a middle path between lethargy and fanaticism. We should ensure that whatever we do, we maintain some effect or influence from our meditation so that it directs our actions as we live our everyday lives. By our doing so, Everything we do outside our formal sessions become part of our training in compassion.
It is not difficult for us to develop sympathy for a child in the hospital or an acquaintance mourning the death of a spouse. We must start to consider how to keep our hearts open towards those we would normally envy, those who enjoy fine lifestyles and wealth. With an ever deeper recognition of what suffering is, gained from our meditation sessions, we become able to relate to such people with compassion. Eventually, we should be able to relate to all beings this way, seeing that their situation is always dependent upon the conditions of the vicious cycle of life. In this way, all interactions with others become catalysts for deepening our compassion. This is how we keep our hearts open in our daily lives, outside of our formal meditation periods. True compassion has the intensity and spontaneity of a loving mother caring for her suffering baby. Throughout the day, such a mother's concern for her child affects all her thoughts and actions. This is the attitude we are working to cultivate, cultivate toward each and every being. When we experience this, we have generated great compassion. Once one has become profoundly moved by great compassion and loving kindness, and had one's heart stirred by altruistic thoughts, one must pledge to devote oneself to freeing all beings from the suffering they endure within cyclic existence. The vicious cycle of birth, death, and rebirth we are all prisoners of. Our suffering is not limited to our present situation. According to the Buddhist view, our present situation as humans is relatively comfortable. However, we stand to experience much difficulty in the future if we misuse this present opportunity. Compassion enables us to refrain from thinking in a self-centered way. We experience great joy and never fall to the extreme of simply seeking our own personal happiness and salvation. We continually strive to develop and perfect our virtue and wisdom. With such compassion, we shall eventually possess all the necessary conditions for attaining enlightenment. We must therefore cultivate compassion from the very start of our spiritual practice. So far we have dealt with those practices that enable us to refrain from unwholesome behavior. We have discussed how the mind works and how we must work on it much as we would work on a physical object by applying certain actions in order to bring about desired results. We recognize the process of opening our hearts to be no different. There's no secret method by which compassion and loving kindness can come about. We must knead our minds skillfully, and with patience and perseverance, we shall find that our concern for the well-being of others will grow. That's great. I mean, I enjoy the book. Uh, would be a, a highly recommended uh, read as he goes through and essentially discusses all of the boundless energies, uh, such as joy and empathy and equanimity. Um, right? Uh, you can... Uh, never enjoy um, the the success of another too much um, because it doesn't um, 
you know, limit your own success. You can never be too um, uh, compassionate. Uh, you can never be too, uh, what they call empathetic joy is what I mentioned earlier, equanimity, right? I mean, you can never uh, feel too much uh, brotherly love for your fellow human being. I mean, uh, this entire book is essentially discussing these boundless um, energies. Uh, and, uh, well, like I hopefully showed this one chapter alone on um, compassion, meditation talks about the importance and emptiness and controlling the self but uh, what I found to be the most beneficial for me is they tend to tell you to sit and even if you listen to the Dalai Lama and you use both calmness and insight you still tend to have a hard time if you suffered a lot of trauma trauma or you had a difficult um, past sometimes you find it difficult to sit down and try to you know just you know, understand, you know, that, you know, this person was bad or that person was bad or this happened to you and, you know, this is your lot in life. Sometimes it's hard to just simply accept these things. For me, I found it much, much, much better for me to use compassion. Again, starting with myself, but then branching out and having compassion for even your abuser. Uh, understanding that they themselves were suffering, are suffering, uh, deserving of the same compassion as yourself uh, by um, treating yourself to that compassion by no longer allowing them free space uh, in your mind you see the same sort of liberation that they discuss the same end to all ills as we discussed in the Heart Sutra so uh, I guess that's about all for this one